Thank you for joining me on episode 13 of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Jenneman, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. Today, Pastor Parker Seleski shares his story of being adopted and how finding Christ helped him shape his identity. Welcome back to the Unique on Purpose podcast. This is Rachel Jenneman. We are helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. And I have a very special friend with me today, Parker, all the way from Southern Michigan. <laughs> Parker, yeah. Hey, hey. The, the land of the lions, right? Yeah. I mean, you got You got to support, on. even though they're terrible, you got to, you got to represent. That's right. <laughs> you know, every, every season I hear people say this is a rebuilding year and that's been going on for like the last 15 years and I'm just tired of rebuilding years. I just want to see them win. You just I don't wanna... care if they rebuild. I just want to see them get one touchdown, you know? That's all I'm holding on to. Well, and I keep telling people, I said, if you just draft Tom Brady on to the Lions, they will win the That's Super right. Bowl. That's all you got to do. Right, just will. get Tom Brady yeah. onto your team. It's like no matter where that guy goes, he gets a Super Bowl ring. So just bring yeah. him onto the Lions. That's all we're yeah, asking we just, for. Yeah, we just need a winner. We well, just need a winner on the team. And it's just so funny because even with – I don't want this to be a sports talk <laughs> now. But, but my last thought on this, like even Matthew Stafford getting traded – I watched his game on his new team and he's killing it. Yeah. He's absolutely killing it. And I'm like, what the heck? Where, where like, were you this, last season? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. It's the Detroit Lions curse. Right. The Detroit Lions curse. I'm going to use that from now on. Well, <laughs> Parker is a next-gen pastor in St. Clair Shores, Michigan. It's an Assemblies of God mm -hmm. church down there. You're also an animation artist. You do a lot of animation work uh, with your kids yeah. in youth ministry. And ladies, he's single. I'm just letting you know right now. He's a single, good-looking guy. So I'm just gonna oh, I'm just gonna man, put that please. out there, Parker. And he please. is he is one of my favorite people. Anybody, Parker, yeah. that meets you, I think you automatically become one of their favorite people. You're just so I don't know the the best word I could come up with is jolly. I don't know how oh, you take man. that, but you just like Santa, like Santa jolly. <laughs> I don't know, kind of. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh man, that's some high praise. That's yeah, some high praise, and I appreciate that because you're one of my favorite people. Aww. you know, you just light up the room, and I'm excited to do this show with you. This is so exciting. You know, I called the radio station, and they were like patching you through, and I was like, is this what celebrities feel like? Like is this like celebrity status? Like, I'm so excited. Well, I asked you on because November is a national adoption month. And I call you my favorite Polish Korean, and there's a reason behind that. But and I know that you know you didn't grow up in a Christian home, and and you have a, a salvation testimony. But adoption is part of your salvation testimony. So I don't really want to oh, yeah. get into your salvation testimony until we share. A, I mean, the whole story, the whole backstory, and I just kind of want you to go from the beginning of oh, yeah. of Parker, the beginning of Parker. Okay. Wow. The very beginning. The very beginning. Um, yeah, of course. So I was born in Seoul, South Korea. 
and I was adopted immediately. I think it was one of those things where um, my birth mom was having a kid. My birth dad had passed away, so she was oh. a single mother. So she put me up for adoption immediately, and I was adopted by two very white, very Polish parents <laughs> here in Detroit, Michigan. And I came over in May 1995. And how um, so old I was were born you? Born in '94. Okay. So I was I was st- I wasn't even one years old yet. Wow. Um, so still an infant, still a baby. I grew up in the great uh, city of New Baltimore, and everyone listening probably has no idea where that's nope. at. But it's off of Lake St. Clair. It's a really small town. Um, I grew up there, and I went to a school district called Anchor Bay High School. Was in the marching band, yeah. did all that fun stuff. Represent. Yeah, played the tuba. Um, my sister also was adopted um, from a different family, both from Seoul, South Korea, and she came over. I want to say a year before me. She's oh, about okay. so um, she's, she's older. Two years. Yeah, she's almost two years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's from a different family. Fun fact: we had a Korean name came coming over. I can't remember what my sister's was, but mine was June Tae Park. So you can probably guess where they got the name Parker from, yeah. just from that last name. But mm-hmm. yeah, so my Korean name was June Tae Park. So yeah, that, that's what the adoption process looked like. Now that's um, like, uh, for me, that's unheard of for an American family to be able to bring home. A, pr- pr- I mean, you weren't a newborn, but you were younger than a year. That's almost yeah. unheard of for someone to so bring it, a family over, uh, bring a child over that young to the United States. Yeah, so I think it changed. Oh. So it's changed over the years. So you were able to do that, I think, until the early 2000s, and that's when it changed to one years old. Is there um, a reason for that? I'm not entirely sure. I think it might have just been like the safety of a newborn being flown over in a plane or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, something like that. Okay. But yeah, so um, we came over with the host. She would bring us over. Um, and then my parents met her at the airport. So oh, so your parents didn't parents. go over to Korea? Yeah, so it was just a lady from the adoption agency who would uh, care for us and bring us over on a plane to America. And then what happens next? They just they just raised you and your sister. I mean, how did you feel growing up? Did you feel that you were different? Because I've met missionary kids that have lived in Asia and they're whiter than, you know, northern Michigan snow and they feel like they're Asian. They just assume that they're Asian, just like everybody else, even though they look different. Is that kind of did you feel like you were everybody else or did you know that you were different? So it's a it's it's a weird combination because we grew up not knowing we were adopted but knowing we were adopted if that makes sense okay um my mom would tell us all the time that god put us in the wrong belly Aww. and we were like oh god just made a mistake and we were like oh and then he had to ship us back over here so we didn't really fully understand that we were different And I actually remember the first time that I came into full realization of what being adopted meant. I I remember I was in um, kindergarten and we had this guest speaker come talking about Martin Luther King. And he was talking about if Martin Luther King didn't do what he did, we wouldn't have kids like. And he pointed to some of the minorities in the class and then he pointed to me. 
Oh. And I was like, I'm, I'm not a minority. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was like, I don't even know what minority means. So I go home and ask my mom, and I was like, Mom, what is a minority? And she was like, honey, you're Korean. You're Asian. And I was like, what? She was like, <laughs> yeah, you were born in another country, and you came over here, and we adopted you, and now you're part of my family. And it blew my mind because for the longest time, I thought I was white. And I had no idea that I was that I was Asian. So when you say and blow it, your it, mind, I'm sorry to interrupt. When you say blow your mind, yeah. does is that was that a bad blow your mind? Like were you was that sad to you or did you feel disconnected? Like what did what does that mean? Yeah, I almost felt disconnected at that point because I was like, man, I I it started to make sense in my mind that I didn't look like my mom or dad. Okay. I didn't, didn't sound like my mom or dad. I didn't have the same hair as my mom and dad. You know, and when we went to family functions, it was different. And every Christmas, the adoption agency would have this Christmas party for all of the adoptees through the adoption agency in Michigan. And we would go every single year and everyone is Asian, everyone is Korean there. And it didn't make sense to me why we all looked the same okay. when I went there. But it started to make sense after that conversation I had in kindergarten. And as silly as that sounds, like it just needed someone from the outside to tell me this is who you are, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so that was a kindergarten. Now let's mm-hmm. move on beyond that how are you feeling are are you walking into school now thinking I'm different and everybody sees me as different walk me through those early years onto you your teenage years yeah so obviously when you look different people are going to notice mm-hmm so in, in growing up in elementary school middle school high school people would say things to me like hey are you good at math or how can you don't open your eyes all the way um things like that very stereotypical stereotypes that people would peg asians for and before that like people would say things like that to me all the time even in kindergarten and preschool but now that that happened growing up and being a teenager like it started to make sense why they were saying things like that and it started to hurt a little bit more Um, I remember there was a moment where my sister comes home and she's in full tears, just crying. And uh, some kid had called her um, Chinese salad for some reason. And I have no idea what that even means. Yeah, I've never even heard of that before. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know if that's like a racial slur to the Chinese. (laughs) But she, she was just so upset in tears. And I remember her crying to my mom saying, I wish I was white. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you grow up in a smaller town like New Baltimore, you really are the minority. There's not a lot of black people, Asian people, Hispanic people growing up in this predominantly white area, Mm -hmm. especially Anchor Bay, the school district, right? Predominantly white classmates. So you stick out like a sore thumb and people do say things. And a lot of it has to come with immaturity, you know, kids sometimes being kids watching TV shows or movies that kind of influence like the way they think things are funny Mm -hmm. or even how their parents speak sometimes. So there was that disconnect to where, you know, I started to realize I was different. Okay. Um, Yeah, not different culturally, but just the way I looked, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you feel uh, a disconnection from your parents? I mean, I know that you you suddenly felt this disconnection from your family in kindergarten, but what about growing up? I mean, did you ever pull the, you're not my real parents kind of thing, or did you always feel that they were your real parents? 
Yeah, so my parents did a really good job of making sure we knew that they loved us. Mm -hmm. There's never a moment or a question where we thought, oh, our parents don't love us, I want to go back, you know. Um, But I did get the question all the time of who's your real mom? Mm -hmm. And and I did struggle with that for a little bit in high school, just like who is my real mom? Um, And that's when the questions in my mind started flowing of why did my birth mom give me up? Like where is she now? Does she even think about me? Um, And there was this moment where I tried to write a letter to her. And I was like, okay, I'm turning 16 years old. She hasn't even tried to reach out. Um, And I tried to write this letter and I sent it to the adoption agency and the adoption agency sent it back. And they said that there's no way that you're allowed to get in contact with her unless she wants to. And she said, no. And that hurt really bad. So I started to struggle with that of just like, okay, why doesn't she want to see me? Why doesn't she want to know how I'm doing or what her boy looks like or what he's doing now? And I struggled with that for a long time. But growing up and growing older, the more people ask me, who's your real mom? I can clearly answer that Lori Ann Selesky, the mom who raised me, the mom who adopted me, is my real mom right there's no question about right. that she took care of me she raised yes. me she loved me she clothed me she fed me she did all these things that a mother should because she is my mom yes. so when people ask me hey who's your real mom for those who are listening just be careful of that question because you're not only going to hurt the adoptee but you're also going to hurt the parent that adopted them as well Mm -hmm. because they are the parent. They are the mom and dad. And when your son or your daughter comes home confused as a little child and says, who's my real mom or who's my real dad, that does a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that starts to, starts to, make those parents question or think a certain way that they never did before. And that's probably a fear going into this adoption process of, okay, are they going to question where their parents are, where their birth parents are, Mm -hmm. but just do a good job of raising them like a parent should and loving them like a parent should. And for all the people who are adopted and struggling right now, your birth or your adoption parent is your parent and they love you so much they would Mm -hmm. not have gone through this process financially emotionally even spiritually through this if they weren't called to have you in their household Mm -hmm. and i think you bring up a good point that it's it's not just the adoptee that it hurts but their parents because when you sent that letter and you got it back and you heard that your biological mother said no I mean that's that's rejection you had to have felt that spirit of rejection Mm -hmm. but when and I've never adopted a child so I cannot I don't want to speak for anybody I'm making an assumption that when a child is looking for their birth parents or when someone does say who's your real parent and you maybe mention your biological parent that adoptive parent may feel a spirit of rejection as well because they did take I mean, that was a huge sacrifice for them. I, I heard one adoptive mom put it this way. She says, I've never given birth to children. All my children are adopted. But all the home studies, all the work, all the money that was put into it, that was my labor. Oh, yeah. That was my labor oh, yeah. process. And so when questions like that are asked and when the adoptee is looking for their biological parent, that might feel as a rejection, too. And that might deter some people from wanting to adopt because, well, what if I put all of this work into this child and then Mm. they just don't 
want anything to do with me as when yeah. they grow up. I, you know, I never really oh, thought no. about it that way. So now you're a teenager and tell me about your conversion process. Like, how did that come oh, yeah. about you coming oh, to Jesus? Yeah. What a fun story. What a fun story. I love um, fun stories. I'm all ears. Yeah. Come on. So, you know, we were raised Lutheran. And um, it was never a question if we were going to church or not. Um, it was either you get a whooping or you go to church. And sometimes <laughs> you got both, right? Sometimes you got both that day. But it, it was never a question of when, if we were going to church or not. If mom and dad were up early and they said, we're going to church, we're going to church. And we had this really, really big pastor who had this very deep voice and I don't I think he did it on purpose but he used to like dim the lights really low and he had this really soft like loud booming voice where he would talk like this the entire time and I would just fall asleep like it, I, he he did that to us like he had the fans going he had the lights dimmed he had this low voice I fell asleep every single time and uh you know that was my church experience growing up mm -hmm. um and I remember there was this moment where being in marching band did a lot of community service stuff. And we went to um, Selfridge um, Air Show one year and uh, we were told to man like this ice cream stand. I remember that we were like just taking ice cream out of there. We probably shut it up, but we're sitting there like we're stealing ice cream. We're like putting it in our pockets and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> you know, which teenagers do. But there was this moment where you hear over the speakerphone the announcer announcing the stuntman. And then all of a sudden you hear him say, oh, no. And we all turn and we all look and we saw this man falling from a plane in the sky <gasps> and just hit the ground. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. So that really messed me up. And I just remember going home and trying to explain it to my parents, trying to explain it to my friends. Parents kind of were distant. They didn't really, we were going through a rough time as a family um, during this time, but you know, there wasn't a lot of help at home. Um, then I tried to explain it to my friends and they all made fun of me saying like, why is this bothering you? I mean, did and the guy remember, die or? Yeah. So you yep, just, you watched him die in front of you. Wow. Okay. Yep, 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 hit the ground. And I just remember sitting in my bed just in tears. And I was crying out to God. I was like, Lord, why would you let this happen? Mm -hmm. Like, why would you why would you allow something this evil and so terrible to happen? And I started thinking about if this guy had kids, if this guy had a wife, if this guy had family, and getting that phone call saying, hey, your dad's not coming home. Mm. And it just destroyed me. And that's where I really fell away from, okay, if there's a God, then he he wouldn't let anything happen. I, I just fell away from the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, and I started experimenting with drugs and alcohol, um, pills, just because I was so in shock and so sad that, you know, the drugs and the alcohol made me numb to things. Mm -hmm. um, started going to parties, started, my parents had this, I just remember this drug drawer where it had all their medication and their pills and I would take it and I would just, I would just take a ton of them before school and drink a bunch of their alcohol before going to school because I was just done. Mm -hmm. I was so sad and so depressed. So I was going through all of these, all of these things um, like drugs and alcohol and stuff like that, going to school. And I was sitting in class, and one of my friends that sat next to me had a shirt. And I don't know if you remember these shirts, but it was like the two-word story. Um, and it said, saved, question mark, saved, period. 
and I was sitting there and I was like, what the heck does that even mean? Like, what does your shirt mean? And I was like, bro, what does your shirt mean? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, Jesus saved me. And I had never heard that in my entire You're life. You're like, saved from what? And I was like, saved you? Like how? <laughs> like uh, the guy in the sky, like he saved you like from mm. a car crash? Like, I just don't understand what you mean. Right. And he said, well, come to church with me and you can experience that. And I was like, no way. There's mm-hmm. no way I'm going to church with you. Um, Rock Church is a church I grew up at, and it's spitting distance from Anchor Bay High School. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost in the same exact parking lot as Anchor Bay High School. And for the longest time, I thought it was a bar. I just didn't know what it was. Like, it looked like a bar. It had, like, letters like a bar would. And I thought it was a bar. And he goes, That's a great disguise. You know, people showing up thinking they're going to the bar, and then actually they go to the church. (laughs) Trying to go get a bite to eat or something. And and it was just so funny. He goes, I go to Rock Church. And I was like, the bar across the street? And he goes, no, that's a church. (laughs) And I was like, oh, what the heck? And he said, come with me to my youth group and let's. let's talk about it. And I said, no, I think I'm okay. And I said, no, because the people that I don't know if you guys do see you at the pole up in um, Traverse City, but nationally where students get together and they go around the flagpole and they pray for their country, their school before school and stuff. But I would always walk by to see you at the pole and I would see the kids that I partied with pray over the school. And I was like, okay, those are the kids that go to church. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's not what I like. What hypocrites? How right. could they go and pray and read their Bible and come and party with me? So I was so turned off by the idea of church and especially rock church, um, because those are the kids that went there for their youth group. And one of my other buddies came up to me and he said, hey, listen, Josh, who was the kid who was wearing that two word story shirt, you said he invited me to church. Will you go? And I was like, oh, my gosh. Because this kid didn't want to go alone, and so he wanted you to come with him? Yeah. Okay. He's like, will you come with me? He was like, I don't know how I feel about this church thing. I don't know if um, this is my thing, but I don't want to go by myself with this kid named Josh. And I was like, okay, if you go, I'll go. Mm -hmm. Um, And our whole plan was to get really, really riled up to cause a scene. Um, That was just our thing, Mm -hmm. to make fun of people. And I remember um, we walk in. And we get there, and it's fine arts. So they're doing oh. the fine arts performances and stuff like that. And there's this one girl who is doing a human video solo. And people were getting wrecked by this human video solo. They were crying. There were tears. They were being really moved by this. And me and my friend being the jerks we were, we were just laughing. Mm-hmm. Like, we caused a huge scene to where we had everybody turn and look at us. Like, that's who we wanted to be going to church because mm-hmm. this is something that we didn't want to do. But I remember Matt Vanderstein, who's the district youth director now of Michigan, he, he was my youth pastor. Um, and he gets up and he starts talking about breaking every chain in your life, like allowing God to break the chains that are holding you back. And there's just something that was happening in my spirit. Looking back now, there's no way I would have understood that the Holy Spirit was trying to get a hold of me. But now, like I see God moving in that situation. And he called the worship team up and they sang that Jesus culture song, Break Every Chain. Mm. And they start playing the song. And I'd never seen this before. You know, growing up, growing up Lutheran, we had these hymnals and we would sing these songs that everybody knew. But there were lights going. There, were, there was a guitar. There was a bass guitar. There was a piano and drums. People were raising their hands. And I saw people fall to their knees. I said, what is happening right here? There is something going on in this place. Um, and that's when my friend got up and he said, hey, listen, I'm leaving. And 
was like, this is weird. You want to go? And I remembered I was just glued to my seat and I couldn't get up. And I was like, listen, man, I'll catch up with you later. And he takes off and I'm sitting there. And I remember I, I, I threw my fleets out, right? I was like, you know what, Lord, speak to me right now. Speak to me right now or I'm walking out those doors and I'm never coming back. This is the last time you're ever going to see me. And I was sitting there and all of a sudden everything turned white and I had this vision. Everything was white around me and then all of a sudden there's a staircase that was coming down and I walk up the staircase and there's this long, narrow tunnel. And all these people were running. They were just sprinting down this tunnel. And I started sprinting with them. I was running. And then I come up to these gates that swung open. And I walk in and there were all these angels that were singing. And Jesus came down and embraced me. Um, And I came to from that vision. And I'm sitting on the ground sobbing. I have no idea how I got there. I was just on the ground sobbing. Mm -hmm. And I just remember saying, Jesus, forgive me. And it was after that day that I gave my heart to Christ and I never gone back. Wow. Um, it was a, it, just a beautiful moment where the Lord was like, okay, you want me to speak to you? Let me show you that I'm still with you. Let me show you that I'm still here with you. Yeah. And ever since then, I, I served in the kids ministry, served in the youth ministry, was an intern at The Rock. Um, and now I'm here in St. Clair Shores as a pastor. Um, I went to camp and... Uh, you know, this guy came up and he said, Hey, listen, I feel like the Lord is trying to tell me something about you and I want you to go and pray about it. So I went and prayed and I felt God saying full-time ministry. So I got up and came back and the, and the guy was like, yeah, God wanted me to tell you, he wants you in full-time ministry Mm. um, before he had even said anything yet. And that guy ended up being Pastor Scott, my pastor. Oh, no way. The guy you work for. That's awesome. Yeah. The full circle of everything that happened in my life. And and here's where I'm going to tie it back into the adoption thing. This wouldn't have happened. The opportunities that I had coming to Christ, working where I'm at, wouldn't have happened unless my parents felt the call to adopt me, to bring me here, to let me be a part of their family. So, it really is a spiritual thing. And I, and I really want like the viewers to know that, that this is something that is God ordained, mm-hmm. like pray about it, seek counsel it about it, fast about it, intercede about it. You know, you, you, you have to, because I would not have received the calling that I have now. I wouldn't have been anointed to work here now if my parents wouldn't have prayed about adopting me mm-hmm. if that makes sense no that's beautiful i'm crying right now you can't see me but <laughs> it's just <laughs> such a great and beautiful story but when you came to christ because it, obviously you were really struggling as a teenager with some identity issues not just the fact of uh, the issue of is God really good, but the identity yeah. issues of being different. How did coming to Christ really help you with that identity? Yeah, like I said, I was I was raised in a Lutheran home, but we weren't really Christians. You know, it was really one of those things where it is a cultural thing in America where Sundays are for church, Easter's for church, Christmas is for church. It's like one of those things. So just where, religion versus relationship. Yes, okay. 100%. It was more about the religion. And coming to Christ, especially experience those things of rejection from my birth mom, watching that guy die from a plane and all the drugs and alcohol abuse, 
But coming to Christ, you know, God really did bring some very strong Christian men around me. Um, Pastor Angelo, the lead pastor at the Rock, Pastor Matt, the district youth director, and all of these other people that I consider spiritual father figures in my life that were able to show me what my true identity in Christ was, Mm -hmm. what a real man of God looked like, Mm -hmm. what a praying man looked like, what a good husband looked like. Um, And that really did a lot of just wonder for me a lot of miracles for me. And my dad is great. I love my dad. He's a provider. He he works so hard. So nothing against my dad, but I did need somebody on the spiritual spectrum to show me more. Yes. You know, so, so raise your kids in church, <laughs> bring them to a youth group, bring them to their kids ministry and let others speak life into them. Because there are some things that mom and dad know and try to tell their kids, but naturally they won't receive it because it's mom and dad. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that they need mentors and coaches and spiritual mother and father figures in their life to speak into them. Right. But yeah, like that was huge for me, having those great men around me to tell me when I was wrong, to me up when I was down and to help me build a better relationship with my parents and -hmm. show me how to pray for them, show me how to, how to honor them better. Um, Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and what's wonderful about the body of Christ is coming from someone who's adopted, you can walk in, at least this is the way it should be. And this is how, this is my church experience anyway. When you go into the church, it's not like the world where we separate everybody and we say, well, you're Asian and you're black and you're white and you're female and you're male. It's no, we're the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what your age is, what your gender is, what color of the skin you have. We are the body of Christ and we're, we're in this together. Nobody's looking at, I I mean, they see there's unity and diversity, right? That, that mm. That's what the body of Christ is. Unity and diversity. All these diverse yeah. people coming together oh, in yeah. unity. So here mm-hmm. I, I'm making an assumption here. So correct me if I'm wrong. When you started your relationship with Jesus and coming to church, did you feel that where there was that unity where you you didn't feel oh, necessarily yeah. separated because I'm oh, different yeah. than everybody else? But there's a unity here. Yeah. You know, um, There was this moment where when I was in high school, we were going on a senior trip. We were boarding the plane, and there was a lady who thought I was a terrorist. (laughs) She was getting everybody... To cut, like all of the oh, um, all of the deckhands and all the I don't even know what you call employees on a plane, but uh, the stewardess. You know, mm-hmm. she was telling the stewardess that she wants me off the plane, and I was like a 16 year old kid. I was like, "What the heck is happening?" But when I came to Christ and I and I allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to me about my identity, things like that became less and less hurtful. Mm, so yes, one hundred percent, because there are moments where people will say things to me still. And my adult years Mm -hmm. by the way i'm 26 i'm considered an adult now so (laughs) we have just so everybody everybody that's listening knows we have this joke inside joke with parker that he wasn't an adult until he was 25 so yes you are now officially an adult parker you're 26 (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but even in my adult years there's still people who say hurtful and racist things to me but now I know, okay, that shouldn't affect me because I know my identity. Yes. I know he has called me to do things, and I know people are going to hurt me 
because I'm doing this job, but I know mm-hmm. that God loves me and that's all I need. And, I mean, obviously there's going to be those flash moments. You're like, why did that person say that? Or mm-hmm. why did that person cut me off in traffic? Like there, there's going to be those moments where flash kicks in, mm-hmm. but on the bigger, larger scale of things, it's not as hurtful as it was before because God has you covered. Well, and I think too, when you come to Christ, there's now a compassion where you realize, okay, especially those that don't know Christ and that are asking Mm. you these things in the back of your mind, you're going, okay, well, if Jesus can forgive the non-believers that were crucifying him on the cross, I think I can forgive these people that really don't fully understand what they're asking me. And, And second, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but if you allow the things that people say to bother you, Mm. what you're really doing is you're giving the enemy a foothold and you're allowing him to place bitterness into your life. And you have pretty much said, no, I'm not going to allow this to make me bitter. 100%. I've been reading through this book. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention books on here. Go Am for I allowed it. To, like, Go for like, it. I'm reading this book called Don't Give an Enemy a Seat at Your Table. Oh, I've Gabriel. heard great things about that book. And it is so good, you mm-hmm. know, because the idea is God is calling you to this table, this banquet, to spend time with him. And you don't want the devil there eating your food. Mm-hmm. You don't want the devil there interrupting your conversation. So... You don't want the devil to come and influence your thoughts and everything like that. So why would you give him a seat at your table? So yes, 100% that the devil, like if you don't guard your heart and you're not taking captive every thought in your mind and making them obey Christ, the devil's going to slip in and say, hey, remember when this person said that Mm -hmm. or remember when this happened, Mm -hmm. right? So we don't want the devil to have a moment, a second or a minute of our time because he doesn't deserve that. Right? If, the, if God deserves everything about us, he deserves our time and the devil doesn't. So yes, 100% that you need to guard your heart. Um, that's a huge thing, right? Throughout everything we're talking about today, I mean, anybody who's listening to this, who's on the fence of adopting or maybe has adopted or maybe been hurt by adoption, right? You really need to guard your heart through this process mm-hmm. because it is an emotional process. And now like, I don't want to say it's different, but it is a little bit different when you have your own kid, right? Mm-hmm. When you when you birth your own kid because he looks like you, he sounds like you, you birthed and you've had those special moments. But when you adopt somebody, especially if it's an older kid coming into your home, right, you're starting from a fresh slate. So you really need to guard your heart and love that kid like Christ mm-hmm. and show him what Christ looks like because that's the only way you're going to get through this. Well, and that is what adopting a child is like. I, I, I'm Again, I, I've never adopted a child, so I'm speaking just from what I, I have a ton of friends who have adopted. So I'm just speaking from what I have observed. Man, they really have to love unconditionally because I remember a woman who works for an adoption agency and she helps place uh, kids in homes. She had said, your job is to love them, but that's not their job to love you. They don't Mm. have to love you, but when they come to your home, it is your job to love them no matter what. And I thought, wow, what an example of Christ right there. Just that, I mean, even Jesus dying on the cross, he was dying for all Mm. the people that he knew would never accept him, would never love him, but he did it anyway. And that's, that's hard, but it does, it, it molds you and it shapes you more like Jesus. Do you ever, have you ever visited South Korea? Do you ever want to go there? 
I do want to go there really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's on my sister's and mine bucket list to go and travel and just to go check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, not even to just search for our birth parents, but we just want to go see what the culture looks like. Mm-hmm. We want to see um, what our roots look like, if that makes sense. We want to see what the city looks like where we were born. So, yeah, it's 100%. That's something on our bucket list that we really want to do. Is that a struggle for you to not know your family history, to not really know your culture? Well, your culture no, obviously think, is American, but I, you know what I mean. You're, you're right. You know where you came yeah, from. Yeah, I think it did before, and I love in Scripture where it says that you're a new creation, that God totally transforms you, and I think that's what God did for me because I used to struggle with that before knowing Him, mm-hmm. but He radically changed my heart on that to where you know what? If I never find out, I never find out. Because I love my parents. I love my family. I love where I'm at. I love uh, the church that I'm at, the calling that I'm at. Um, And if God blesses me with knowing that information or even going over there to check it out, then, yeah, that's cool. But that's something that he transformed in me, that it's no longer something that I yearn for. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I have two questions for you to kind of wrap this up with. The first one is, uh, and you've alluded a little bit to it throughout the interview, Tell me your thoughts for those parents on the fence of adoption. As an adoptee, what advice are you going to give them right now? Yeah, pray about it Mm -hmm. because it is huge because it's not only for the people who are on the fence about adopting. It's not only going to affect your life but it's going to radically change somebody, that child's life, Mm -hmm. you know, taking them from a different home, from a different city, from a different country, even there's some spiritual warfare that's going to happen there. Some identity issues that might happen. So pray for it. Pray that God gives you an answer on it and make sure that you have a strong village behind you. Mm, Um, That's good. Strong believers who are going to pray for you, who's going to intercede for you in their prayers at home that are going to fast for you, that are also going to help raise that child, Mm -hmm. that are going to love that child. Because when mom and dad are weary and and down, you need that village to come behind you and give you that boost, that strength. Now, what about my last question? What advice would you give to someone right now who's listening, who is adopted, whether they were adopted, because it doesn't matter if they came from overseas or if they were adopted domestically, they still struggle with the identity. They still struggle with the rejection. What advice would you give them right now? Adoption doesn't define who you are. Mm. Just because you were adopted doesn't mean that's your identity now. And that's not how people should describe you. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not how people should describe your childhood of being adopted. You are you. Mm -hmm. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator who has a plan for you who loves you relentlessly, who sent his son for you, and he thinks about you fondly. Um, I love in Genesis 131 where it says, um, where it shows God, right? And he's looking over all of creation, everything that he made, and he says it's very good. Mm -hmm. You are part of that creation. And nowhere in that scripture does it say you were adopted, you came over here, God looks at you, you are very good. No, he looks at you, your soul, your core Mm. of who you are, a child of God, and says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm -hmm. So don't let this adoption thing get to you and let it rule your life. Don't let it rule your thoughts. Don't let it rule your emotions, but find out who you are. 
And I, and, and I want to encourage somebody to search for that. Mm-hmm. You know, in scripture, it says, when you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. And I guarantee you this. This is a Parker Celeste guarantee. If that you search for God with all of your heart, you're going to find him. You're going to seek the answers and you're going to find the answers that you're looking for through Christ. And you're going to find even better than what you're looking for. So don't let this adoption title rule who you are because you might have been adopted. Your parents might have not have been the best parents. You might have been adopted into a bad situation, but that should not dictate what your future looks like. Preach it. I love it. Come on. Come on. <laughs> oh, Parker, thank you so much. That was such an awesome yeah, conversation. So yeah. This I, has been so good. Thank you for the opportunity. Like I am absolutely honored. Like and and, and it is so humbling that you asked me to do this because I'm just one person in this big world. So uh thank you for letting me come and speak truth and let me speak my testimony to some people. This has been incredible. Well, you have a story to tell and people need to hear your story and I know that those that maybe are on the fence of adoption or maybe that are adopted themselves and they're really struggling, I know that they're going to find some sort of hope in your story. And if there's somebody out there that maybe doesn't know Christ that's listening to your story, maybe this is going to draw them a little bit closer to knowing the truth. So thank you so much, Parker. I believe in it. Thank you. Isn't he not just so fun? Oh, thank you so much for joining Parker and I in that unique on purpose conversation i hope you had just as much fun as we did don't forget to share download and subscribe and remember you were created unique on purpose you are loved and because of christ you have been made worthy i'll see you next time